It's great to be here today. Uh, you might have guessed we're doing things a little bit different today in our order, but uh, it's all hopefully going to make sense as we get toward the end of what we're doing today. Uh, our mission, regardless of how we do what we do, is to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. Uh, we do that as we strive to take Jesus's life as our model for living, and so we prioritize being together. We hear and respond to the word of God with an emphasis in prayer, and we strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our communities and in our world. And so this morning, we continue in this season of the life of the church, a time to grow, a time for us as individuals and as a community of believers to grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship with God and with each other. This morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. So I invite you to grab your Bible, uh, grab a blue Bible, open your Bible app and turn to Romans 12. If you're reaching for a blue Bible somewhere in, in front of you, it should be on or around page 803. As I always do, I want to encourage you to put this text in your hands so that you can become familiar with that. You can also grab your sermon notes in case you decide to write something down. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at disciplines of how uh, a spiritual growth is intentional. It's not automatic, right? It just doesn't naturally happen. It's something we have to do. We also looked at how the scriptures uh, can help us in that. Last week, we focused on Psalm 119, where we were challenged with the question, how can a young man, how can we as people keep our ways pure? And we discovered the answer is by living according to your word. I also challenge you with the opportunity uh, to seize those opportunities to read the scriptures, to read the scriptures again for the first time. The idea there is don't let familiar, familiarity, something you think you know, rob you from what God is trying to teach you and show you in the scriptures. Also to memorize the scriptures, one scripture a week for the rest of the year, if you're successful half the time, at this point you can get 22 and a half verses. So it's something that you can do and uh, you can start today. It's something we can begin doing today. So as we explore what it means for us to grow, I want to strive to clearly communicate that this is not about becoming a better Christian as if there is such a thing, right? Instead, as we explore these things, what we're exploring are opportunities that we have to grow, to grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship with God, to grow in our relationship with each other, and how we as individuals and then as a community of believers, we can be intentional about that growth. Today, um, as we think about being intentional about growing, I wanna play a little bit of word association with you. So I'm gonna say a word, and I want you to share with me the first word or two that comes to mind, right? And say it loud enough we can hear, hear you, and we'll, we'll get there, right? You guys are like, I hate this part. Some of you are like, oh, I love this part. I'm going to be first, right? Um, so the word is this, worship. What comes to mind, one word, couple words, when I say the word worship? Songs. Adoration. Adoration. Wow. I got that. Didn't get any of those. God praise. Music. Prayer. Drums, thank you, John, appreciate that. That's our, that's our drummer, by the way, so just you know, clarify. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, church, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Necessary. necessary, is that what you said? Okay. All right. Raising hands, rejoicing. So think about all those things that we said, right? It's, it's all those things and more, right? 
When we start thinking about worship, um, here's the thing. When we strive to define the idea of worship, we discover such explanations as the reverent love and devotion accorded a deity, an idol, or sacred object. The ceremonies, prayers, or other religious forms by which love is expressed. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration. When we really start to research this word and, and go into what, you know, what it's meant in our history, we find that it aligns with the understanding of worthiness, okay? It's this idea of worthiness. One uh, way to look at it is uh, worship is if it's worth-ship. We worship that which is worth it. It's when you ascribe worth or value to someone or something, which makes it really interesting when you think about the way in which we use, in our context, the word worship. Not what does it mean, but how do we use it? We, such, we say such things as, we have a worship service, right? We have a worship band. The worship band plays worship songs in a worship set. Dylan is our worship leader. There's a worship team. We invite people into the worship ministry. In some churches, uh, the, the place in which they meet is called the worship center, right? When we, when we think about worship, we often think about, in general, we, we think about singing and praising or raising hands, songs and prayer and quiet and reading the Bible, maybe things like that. We, we think about church and we think about religious-y type things, don't we? That's what worship is to us. And, and I would suggest this morning that, is that worship, it may include all or any of those things, but worship is not synonymous with those things. Worship is not the same as singing or praising or raising hands. It's, it's not just clapping or, or praying or reflecting or being quiet or, or any of those forms of which we consider adoration toward God. Now, again, those things may include worship, but those things in and of themselves are not what worship is. Maybe a better way to understand it is to say it like this. You can do all the things that were mentioned and not be worshiping God. And conversely, you cannot be doing any of those things and still be worshiping God. The whole study in, into this idea of worship uh, this past week was just really interesting to me. I really want to thank Morgan for her research uh, and her assistance in helping me gain a better understanding of the Old Testament Hebrew concept of worship, especially as it's expressed in the word. Again, that word is now, the reason I'm having her say that is because I've tried and I just fail miserably, right? Um, it, it, that word is such an interesting word. One of the interesting things about the Hebrew language is how it paints word pictures to help us understand those words. And the word means in this picture to bow down on the ground in reverence and respect and humility, in the New Testament, we see the same concept in the Greek word proskuneo. It's, it's from the word which we, in our English, use prostrate, right? We, we bow down, we put our face down, and that's what people would do before Jesus. In, in our text today, when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he, he's trying to communicate something more than just falling down with your face in the ground before Jesus. He wants to communicate that there's this greater opportunity for us to respond to what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. So that's why we're gonna dive into this text this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse one. It says 
therefore. And when we see a therefore, what do we ask? What's it there for, right? That's just a simple thing to do. If you ever start a text and it says, therefore, what's, what's the writer talking about? Well, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul explains the basics and the foundation of the Christian faith along with how we enter into that saving relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And now in chapter 12, he begins explaining to the believers how they can live a life that is growing in their relationship with God and with each other. And he says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because of all that God has done for you, Present or, or offer is a better way to understand that. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is truly the way to worship God. The word Paul describes uh, worship here in this Greek is the word uh, lateria. And it's an interesting word because it's best defined as worship, but what does that mean? Well, this word means adoration or devotion. And it's that devotion part that, that Paul is, is really kind of leaning in when, when you look at this. He's, he's teaching the people that the best way to worship God, the way to show God your love and adoration and devotion is to offer up what? Offer up your body, your life, all of who you are, both inside and out. Offer that to God as a response for all that he has done for you through his son Jesus. Because of what God has done, we have the opportunity to respond by worshiping him, which creates growth in our relationship with him. And this concept was very important. Uh, Paul wanted them in Rome to understand this concept. And I think it was important for the early church. It's important for us still today. It's important for us to understand because often it's different than just this idea of attending a worship service or even bowing down with our face in the ground before Jesus or before God. If you're familiar uh, with the Gospel of John, you may recall in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman. Uh, at the well, this, this woman had been married five times. The man she was living with currently was not her husband. And she has this conversation and discussion with Jesus about being thirsty and drinking water and her needs. And in the midst of this, the woman says in verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. To which Jesus replies, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, I invite you to hang with me for just a moment because I really believe this, this really has the potential to be very freeing and also very encouraging to us. This, this Old Testament Hebrew concept of worship is really connected to what is done physically, all right? It's laying prostrate. It's bowing down before God. Now, obviously, as Morgan shared with me in this, you know, I asked, you know, one definition, I got a page worth of information. It was great. It means more than just that. But but that's the image that's painted when we see this idea. In the same way, when you read through the Gospels, we see people coming before Jesus and bowing down before Jesus. They're worshiping him. They put their face down in the ground. When you get to the book of Revelation in the heavenly realm, people, again, are bowing down before Jesus. But outside of the Gospels, 
And outside of Revelation, this idea of worship in the New Testament, in the, in the early church, is more like what Jesus described in John chapter 4. Jesus is saying, a time is coming. And then he says, in fact, it's now here. And we know it's here because of Jesus. When, when worship, it's not going to be about which mountain you are on. It's not about a physical place. It's not about a specific ritual or act. Worship is about what happens in your heart. Worship is not an external thing. Worship is all about the depths of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It's who you are. It's that splachna inside of you. Jesus says we have the opportunity to worship in spirit and in truth. It's without a place. It's without a specific location like a mountain or a temple or a shrine or an altar. It's an outward manifestation of worship is when the Holy Spirit interacts with our human spirits in our heart according to the truth of who God is and how salvation has come to us through his son Jesus. And yes, worship may include all the things we talk about, you know, like you know, singing and music and raising of hands and prayer and, and all of those things, but worship is not synonymous with those things. I want to belabor the point just for another second to try to be as crystal clear as possible. Jesus here in John 4 says worship is not about a place. We say, I go to church. I go to a worship service. I go to church to worship, right? That's the, that's the phraseology we use. But this is just a building, Right? This is just a space. We, the people, we are his church. A temple, a cathedral, the the holy days, feasts, festivals, rituals, rites. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they in and of themselves do not constitute worship. They can help lead us into worship, but they in in and of themselves. If it just causes us to go through the motions or if we're fulfilling an obligation, it's not worship. The New Testament tells us that we are God's temple. And as such, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it all for the glory of God. And I wonder if we have compartmentalized worship into something we do for an hour or so, you know, twice, three times a month maybe. We attend a worship service. We may even listen listen to some worship music. But that's the extent of our worship. But worship is so much more than that. In the Old Testament, we see several examples of God telling his people that if worship is what they're doing, what they think they're doing, and if it's only because of ritual or out of obligation, God says, then just stop it. He says, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in your heart. Examples include Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, where God says through the prophet Isaiah, I have more than enough of burnt offerings the rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Amos chapter 5, verse 22, even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, those sound kind of harsh, don't they? 
God was making a point to his people directed through the prophets. And I'm not standing up here today saying that God looks at what we do in the same way that that's not my role. My objective is to challenge us to examine not only how we worship, but how we engage in worship. One of the issues that the capital C church, the universal church, you know, whatever denomination you may think of, but, but one, of the, one of the struggles is trying to engage people. How do we engage people in worship, in creating an atmosphere and, and a look and a sound that will engage with people and hopefully usher people into the presence of God to stir that emotion and that feeling so that people will, will know and will feel what it's like to have worshiped. And yet, Graham Kendrick addresses this idea when he said, worship has been misunderstood as something that arises from a feeling which comes upon you. But it's vital that we understand that it's rooted in a conscious act of the will to serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a significant statement. It reflects what scripture says about worship. You, you see, it's, it's not that feelings are unimportant, right? But we can be driven by our feelings. I've had people say, you know what? I just didn't feel like I worshiped at church today. But the truth of the matter is you can get feelings at a concert. You can get feelings when you go to the orchestra, at the movie theater, or at a sporting event. True worship is something different than just a feeling. It may include a feeling, but it's an act of the will where we consciously worship and serve and obey Jesus. If we constantly look for that euphoric feeling of worship, in the long run, we're just gonna find it lacking. And the danger is that then we seek this feeling instead of pursuing God, instead of seeking him, instead of serving him and loving him and being obedient to him, we, we begin giving of what we, it's all about what we can receive versus what we can give. What we can gain is our focus instead of what God wants us to do for him. Chris Tomlin said it like this. Worship is where God isn't moved by the quality of our voice, but the condition of our hearts. Worship is not about the external. It's, it's about what's going on on the inside of us. And anytime I, I think about how God isn't moved by the quality of our voice, but the condition of our hearts, I often think of my Aunt Barbara, who uh, she died of cancer many, many years ago now she could not carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> she could not. And, and it was one of those things that we all knew and she knew, but she didn't care because she knew that, that what God wanted from her was her surrender. And so she sang and she sang loud. And when new people heard her, they were like, really? But it didn't matter. She worshiped. Worship is not about the external, it's about what's going on inside of us. And Chris Tomlin's quote brought to mind a song that was written by Matt Redman titled The Heart of Worship. And I've asked Caitlin to sing part of that song for us this morning to help illustrate that point.
was going through a, a really difficult time. They weren't spiritually healthy and they knew they needed something different to help them grow and, and focus on God. Uh, the pastor, Mike Pavalici, he did something at that point that the people didn't like. The first thing he did was he removed the sound system from their building. And then he told the band that they were no longer needed. And as a result of his decision and actions, Matt Redman says this, we gathered together with just our voices. We lost our way in worship and the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. And through that process, the people were reminded that worship was not something that they experience or a service that they attend. It's what they were able to offer to God. And after a period of time where they just had acapella songs and prayers and confession and surrender and sacrifice, they reintroduced the musicians. They put the sound system back in. And through the process, they gained a new perspective of what worship really is, how worship is about their heart, and it's all about Jesus. Matt Redman, Matt Redman wrote these words as a response to that time, and I hope the words speak to you. So what is worship? Therefore I urge you, my brothers and sisters, because of all that God has done for you, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is truly the way to worship God. Worship is something we choose to do. Worship is something we choose to do in response to what God has done for us. And it's not as if we can do it better, right? As if that's possible or even what God desires for us. It's when we offer ourselves to the Lord because of his grace and because of his greatness. And this may include all the ways that you think of worship, but it's not limited to that. And in fact, God is looking into our heart. The image here that Paul writes about is one of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was the idea of offering a sacrifice in order to obtain mercy from God, but we are to offer a sacrifice of ourselves as a response to the mercy of God and what he has already done for us. That's what Paul has been saying to the church in Rome. He, he's saying, look at all that God has done for you through his son Jesus and the power that God has given us to give us salvation. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God. We are adopted as his children. We are co-heirs with Christ. We do not have a spirit of fear, but one of power. Time and time and time again, we are reminded that we are in Christ. We identify with his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We are no longer bound by the law, but we experience the life-giving grace that sets us free from sin and death. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we are invited to walk in relationship with God as we surrender our lives to him. That's the challenge, and that is the opportunity that we have to worship him with all that we are, with every ounce of us. This morning, we want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Lord. And we're going to do that this morning in a handful of different ways because we want to respond to what God has done for us. And as we do, may we realize that the songs we sing, or if we don't sing, 
If we stand up, if we sit down, if we raise our hands, if we shove our hands deep into our pockets, whatever it may be, those external things that may or may not help you worship, God is interested in your heart. So as we respond this morning, we're gonna do things a little different. Uh, This morning, there'll be a few things that are happening all at the same time and offer, in, in order to give you the opportunity to respond and to worship and to offer yourself up, to the Lord this morning. There are four things that are gonna be happening. One, uh, the band is gonna be leading, in, leading us in uh, some songs. There'll be two songs, a scripture reading and a song, for those of you who like to know the plan. Um, and, and as those songs are being sung and led, the, the lyrics will be on the screen. And we invite you to worship, to, to stand, to sit, to pray, to sing, whatever it is that, that you need to do in response to what God has done for you. It's an opportunity to surrender your heart to the Lord. We also want to invite you in those three songs in scripture reading in, in that time to partake of communion. Uh, in, in the front of the auditorium, there are two different stations, each one containing bread, which represents Jesus's body and juice, which represents his blood. We invite you as believers to make your way to the table when you're ready to take of the bread, to take of the juice, to celebrate and to remember what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. Three, we also invite you to give of your gifts and tithes and offerings. It's a way in which we worship the Lord. Uh, Across the back of the auditorium, there's three different stations, and and we invite you to take your gifts and tithes and offerings and to place those in the trays. It's also an opportunity for you to put your Connect card and and your prayer cards there as, as we worship in response to the Lord and what he's done for us. Also during this time, we want to provide you an opportunity if you want to talk to someone if you want someone to pray with you, if you just wanna find out what it really means, uh, more about what it means to, to discover and experience his love, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to be obedient in baptism by immersion, to, to join PCC, to, to be a part of what's going on here. We invite you to make your way over to the cross. This is a time that we hope we can give you the opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity And it's based on how you respond to the Lord. We have opportunities, but how will we respond to those opportunities? So as we sing, we invite you to do as God directs you, to sing, to stand, to sit, to partake of communion, to give, to respond to the Lord, and to talk to someone if need be. I'm going to invite you now, if you're willing and able, and as you're willing and able, to stand with me. Let's worship through the songs that we sing But more than that, let's worship as we surrender our hearts to the Lord together this morning.